And this has been another exciting edition of DIY Fail, reminding you to keep failing so we can keep laughing. I love the guy in the background. He's like, I said stop like 10 times. Stop, stop, stop. Uh, man, that was, that was painful to watch. You know, sometimes that's how these DIY do-it-yourself projects can go. Whether you're trying to pull someone out of a snowbank uh, or whether you're doing something around the house, sometimes you can start on one of these projects and it can go horribly wrong. And yet there are a lot of times where these projects can go right, especially if you follow the steps and, uh, and you get a little help. And that's really what this series is all about. We're talking about sharing Jesus in a do-it-yourself kind of way because this is something that we're all called to do. And so uh, what we're doing in this series is we're just giving you some steps that we think if you follow will not only be easy for you, a lot easier than you think, but that will also make your sharing a lot more effective. Uh, my name is Dion, by the way. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. I want to say a word of welcome to all of you who are here. Those of you who are joining us online, we're so glad that you're here. Before I dig into this message further, uh, I should say we dig into this message further, let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we pray today for your voice to speak clearly through me and uh, into each of our lives. God, we want to hear from you because you've got the words of life that we so desperately need. So make this all about you and what you want to say to us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. You probably notice that there are some experiences in life that you can do a reasonably good job of explaining to someone else. You know, if you go see a good movie or you eat at a good restaurant, it's pretty easy to go back and tell your friends, hey, you should try this place, it's really great, and then to go on and, and actually describe what the experience was all about. Uh, a vacation might be the same way for you. Uh, maybe a funny anecdote, something funny that happened that you relay to others, like ripping the rear end off a car when you're trying to pull it out of a snowbank. You know, there are some experiences where as you go through them in life, you can actually do a good job of explaining them to people so people get a sense of, of what happened and what it must have been like to be a part of that experience. And then, and then there are other experiences, experiences in life that are, are just so profound that they transcend the ability of, of language. No explanation in the world could ever do them justice. You know, I think about standing and beholding a work of art. If you like visual art, you felt this before, you know, you're standing there and you're looking at something done by one of the masters, and yeah, sure, it's just a picture of Jesus and 12 guys at a table, but it's so much more than that. And, and as you try to describe it to someone else, you just realize that you can't. Or for me, another example would have been, I guess, uh, the birth of our first child and really the birth of all of our children. You know, that's something that people tried to describe, and yet it just, it just words can't explain it. Words can't express what that feels like. Or for me, even I think of moments where I feel like God has, has prompted me or spoken to me. You know, maybe you're sitting in church and the guy up front is just talking and, and then all of a sudden a word comes through and it just, it pierces your soul. And you can try to describe that moment, that epiphany, that word to someone else and, uh, and the more you describe it, it's just like it's, it's the, more it, the more it profanes it. Or, or you can think of not just something in church, but, um, you know, maybe you're watching a sunrise or a sunset, and you've seen hundreds of them before, but maybe on one particular day, the sunrise or the sunset, all of a sudden it's like, it's like God's majesty and power is raining down all around you, and you are overwhelmed with the sense of God's greatness and His goodness. Now, you can try to explain that to someone else, and they're like, yeah, I've seen the sunrise. I saw the same thing you did. And, and you're like, no, 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 it's so much bigger than that. 
And every time you try to say something, it's like you're digging yourself a hole. It just, it brings the whole experience low. I want you to hold that tension or that duality in mind today. And the reason is this, because I think this is where we often get into trouble when we try to share Jesus with other people. Those of us who have experienced Jesus, this is where it gets difficult for us to then take this profound thing that we've experienced. Uh, It's difficult for us then, then to figure out how in the world you relay it to someone else. And so today, to to look at this, I want to take us back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry in the book of John, in the Gospel of John. So you can open up your Bibles right now to John chapter 1. You can take out your smartphone or your tablet and go to uversion.com or fire up the app from uversion and go to John chapter 1. Or you can even look up here on the screen. We're going to look at John 1 starting at verse 35. It's right at the beginning of of Jesus' ministry. And uh, as we look at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we're going to learn something that's going to be really helpful for that place in life where you just feel dumbfounded and, and unable to convey who Jesus really is. Let's take a look. John 1, starting at verse 35. It says, the next day, John, uh, this is not the writer of the book. This is John the Baptist, who, uh, who wasn't a Baptist at all, not in modern day terms. That was funny. This is where you're supposed to laugh. Ha, 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 laughing in church is okay, really. Um, John was uh, a guy who baptized people. And uh, if you know something about John the Baptist, um, again, he wasn't Baptist. Um, I like to think he might have been Lutheran, although it was pointed out to me earlier today, he was probably Jewish. <laughs> there, there you go. Okay. Um, uh, John was also a relative of Jesus. Does anyone remember John was Jesus's cousin? Jesus's cousin. And John's whole existence was to prepare the way for Jesus. He was to be the front runner, the forebearer of Jesus. And so uh, John is doing that. He's, he's a teacher. He's got these disciples, these followers around him. So the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, now this, this phrase sometimes pops up in Christian music or in songs we see, sing in church. And some of you have always wondered, why are we singing about lambs again in church? What's with these people? What's their fascination with lambs? And, and what John is actually speaking is he's speaking this metaphor over Jesus because lambs were a part of the sacrificial system. And John is saying, hey, look, this is the lamb, the, the one who came from God, who is going to be the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the world. This guy is it. He's our solution to our sin problem. And, uh, and because these two disciples uh, were kind of astute, these guys who followed John, they got what that meant. And so it says, when the two disciples heard him say this, they started following Jesus. So they left John, and they started following Jesus. <laughs> Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? You know, what are you guys doing back there? You're creeping me out here. Why are you following me around? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? This is getting creepier, right? Never let a stranger follow you home. But Jesus says, come, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Now now Jesus does something interesting here. He's asked a really simple question. Teacher, rabbi, where are you staying? It should have just required a simple answer back. Oh, hey, I'm staying over at Yaakov's house over there. But that's not what Jesus does. He He says, come and you will see. 
he actually invites these guys who just started following him to come to his house to check him out. And, uh, and they spend the whole afternoon together. Now this is significant. It's right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus through this begins a pattern that you can trace out through the next part of this chapter. I want, I want to show it to you. Look, look at the next verses. Verse uh, 40, I guess. So Andrew... Simon Peter's brother. Um, a lot of us have heard of Peter in the Bible. Maybe not many of us have heard of Andrew. Um, Peter becomes a major figure later on, one of the closest followers of Jesus, one of the leaders of the early church. Um, his brother Andrew, actually, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So again, this guy Andrew, he, he hears John the Baptist say, look, the Lamb of God. He starts following Jesus. He spends the day with Jesus. His mind is blown by Jesus. He thinks this guy is incredible. This, is, this has got to be the Messiah. This is the one who has come to rescue us. And the first thing he does, the first thing he does was what? not a trick question. It's just reading comprehension here. What was the first thing he did after he met Jesus? He went and he told his brother, right? He says, you got to meet this guy. And it says he brought him to Jesus. Now watch what happens the next day. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, here's another guy, another name. He said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found his friend Nathaniel, who sometimes in the Bible goes by the name of Bartholomew. Now, now I don't know why this has got to be like this. The Bible's confusing enough sometimes, but all these people have so many names. Um, so just try to stay with us. Uh, so Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel or Barth Bartholomew and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This is funny. So Nathaniel, he's a, he's a little more studied. He's a little more studious, a little smarter maybe than Philip. And uh, Nathaniel does a quick check of his memory banks, and he's like, Jesus of Nazareth? You know, Nathaniel's one of these guys. He's just kind of, you know, your smart friend who's always a killjoy. Like, you're like, hey, I heard about this awesome thing the other day. And he's like, no, no, no. You know, like, he's one of these guys, always, always contesting everything. And he's like, Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth? Uh, nothing in the Bible ever says that the Messiah, the Christ, is coming from Nazareth. In fact, Nazareth is this small hick town way in the north where nobody important ever comes from. So he goes, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. And Philip does something really smart here. He may not be studied in the scriptures as Nathaniel, but man, he's wise. Philip doesn't argue with him and go, well, wait a minute. And neither one of these guys knew at this point that Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem, where the prophecies actually said he would come from. They didn't know that. But instead of arguing with him, instead of getting flustered, instead of losing his confidence, look what Philip does. He says, come and see, said Philip. Do you see the pattern here? The pattern that Jesus began that all the rest of these guys follow? See, see each of these guys, they have an encounter with Jesus and uh, they're totally blown away by it. They're amazed by who Jesus is. 
And so the first thing they do is they, they run and they find someone else and they begin to share Jesus. That's kind of what we're talking about in the series, right? They begin to share Jesus, but instead of just explaining Jesus saying, oh, you, you know, he's about six foot tall and he's got a beard and he said this and that. They don't try to explain him. Instead, they do something much better. They say, you know what? Come and see. Come and meet him. It's genius. And in fact, uh, throughout the scriptures, um, we see this repeated. And, and I think this is so important for us here today because sometimes we get confused The heart of Christianity is not a bunch of doctrines or facts. At the heart of Christianity isn't a list of rules or commands. I mean, that stuff all matters. It has its place. But that's not the heart of what we believe. That's not what unites us here. At the heart of Christianity, at the heart of every Christ follower, is a relationship. Not a list. Not a proposition. At the basis of of every Christ follower's life is a relationship with Jesus. It all comes down to knowing him. Not knowing about him, but knowing him. And Jesus talked about this all throughout his ministry. In in John chapter 1, I mean, it says that Jesus is the one who came into the world. I mean, look at at this verse. Uh, Jesus is the one who has come into the world to make the Father known. It says no one has ever seen the Father. No one knows God, really. You can't know God. He's unknowable. And yet, the Son has come into the world to make the Father known. You can get to know the Son. And by knowing Him, you know the fullness of God. In Romans chapter 5, it talks about how Jesus came not to give us peace, but to actually be our peace. How He came to be this envoy of peace. So that we could have peace, not peace just abstractly, but peace through him that he brings it into our lives. In John chapter 5, Jesus talks about the Bible and he says, you know, the point isn't knowing the Bible. I love the way he puts this. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these very scriptures are written, they, they testify about Me, Jesus says. He's like, the scriptures aren't the point. It's not memorizing scripture. It's through scripture getting to know me. I'm the point. See, time and again throughout the Bible, it points us away from facts and figures and knowledge and Bible verses and quotations. And it says, no, no, no. The point is knowing Jesus. And that's so important because somewhere along the way, I don't know if it was scholasticism back in the Middle Ages, the advent of the printing press, we started to get all bookish and we started to think that the point of Christianity is to know a bunch of stuff about Jesus. And that's not the point. I mean, for those of you who are married, or even those of you who hope to be married someday, would you ever marry someone, did you marry someone simply based on their resume? They passed you a you know, sheet with their biographical information. You said, looks good to me. Let's go, you know. No, that, right? I mean, even those of us who, come, who might come from a culture of arranged marriages, chances are someone met that person and vouched for them before you were brought into a relationship with them. Over the course of a relationship, is, is that what makes a relationship great? That you learn all of the biographical detail about someone so you can write a biography about them if you wanted to? Of course not. That's not what it means to know someone. Just to know their stuff. To know the outline of their story. It's much deeper. It's about knowing them. 
so we see this pattern, and it's not a pattern that I'm making up. It's this pattern that Jesus introduced at the very beginning of his ministry where he doesn't pass out his resume. He doesn't give a 20-point list of Bible verses that are proof texts to show that he is the one who is to come from the Old Testament. Instead, what he does is he invites people to spend time with him. And as people spend time with him, they start to like him. In fact, they like him so much that they begin to believe in him. They begin to trust him. They begin to love him. And then, and, and here's where it gets really important. Those people for whom, uh, for whom that happens, who, who encounter Jesus in that way, who, who begin to know him and believe in him and trust in him and eventually begin to love him, they don't go home and open up their diary and write about this incredible spiritual experience. You know, dear diary, today I met Jesus. It was really wonderful. I felt warm and fuzzy. The end. They don't do that. What do they do? What did Philip and Andrew do? The moment they encounter Jesus, they go and they share him. They go and invite someone else. They don't try to explain it. They just say, come and see. Because remember, there are some things in life that you can explain. And then there are some things in life that words can never explain. And I would definitely put Jesus in that last category with one giant asterisk. Just because he can't fully be explained doesn't mean that we should never try to explain him. Explaining has a place. And and so today I want to give you a few tools as you think about um, sharing Jesus the next step. Uh, The first one is I I want to to give you something that might help you explain objectively who Jesus is and what he's done. Um, Here's a diagram, sometimes called a bridge diagram. This is our own version of it. Uh, But basically, it's just a word picture that helps people understand what the cross is all about, what Jesus is all about. Uh, And you could start this way. You could draw this out and you could say, you know, in the beginning, there was God, and God's desire for us was life and all the things that life is comprised of. But then sin came into the world, and sin is basically just separation. It's, It's separation between man and God. And when that separation was introduced because of our rebellion, because we're just kind of rebellious people who want to do stuff our own way, I mean, who doesn't understand that? I mean, clearly, that's us. That's the nature of humanity. But when that happened, we were separated from a God who brings life and all of these things, and suddenly our existence, humanity's existence, became not about life, it became about death. No longer could we have wholeness, we knew brokenness. Instead of coherence, life got chaotic. Instead of being significant, we were given over to an existence of meaninglessness. And yet, see, everybody knows. I mean, everyone in your life, everyone you know, they are striving, they are fighting against these things. I mean, we're bumping into death every day, but we want to live. and, And so we're getting Botox and body replacements and, you know, trying to look better than we really are. Why? Because... Even though death is the most natural thing in the world, we, we, we fight against it. Why? Because we are created to be in this relationship with the God of life. And we're fighting against brokenness, looking for wholeness. We're fighting against chaos, trying to find order and coherence. We're fighting against meaningless, trying to find significance. And, and, and so, so here's this, this dilemma that humanity's in. But then God sent Jesus into the world. And Jesus gave his life on a cross. And in that act... Jesus finally dealt with our sin, our rebellion. He dealt with our separation. He bridged the gap so that all of the things that God gives, that God alone gives, could be ours again. 
That's why the cross matters. That's why Jesus matters. Now, see, you could use something like that to objectively explain why Jesus is significant, why the cross matters. And I think that would be helpful. In fact, I think all of us who want to take God's command seriously to, to share Jesus with others, we need to have something like this. It doesn't have to be this, but we need to have some way to put it into words, what Jesus has done. And then I want to take it a step further. You should have this, but, but then even more powerful than this is to be able to put it in your own words, in your own story about who Jesus is for you. Now, again, you'll never be able to articulate fully who Jesus is for you. I, I know in my life, uh, I could never put it into words. That's why I preach so long. I keep trying and I, I can't. I just can't put it into words who Jesus is and what he's done for me and what he's doing for me every day. But that doesn't mean that sharing your story is powerless. Uh, it's actually a very powerful thing. You can give people a glimpse through your eyes of who you know Jesus to be, and it's, it's truly powerful. Um, in fact, a few weeks ago, we baptized a woman by the name of Kara here in this place, and uh, it's just an incredible day. A lot of, you know, I say we because it really was the church working right. Someone inviting her, other people encouraging her, and, and eventually she came to faith, and it was here in this uh, 11 o'clock service that it happened. And as a part of that baptism, I asked her to, to share about her faith, and it turned into a really powerful moment. If you were there uh, for it, you'll remember it was just a powerful moment. And what was powerful about it was not that she had this, you know, great speech made up. Um, she just spoke about who Jesus was to her. And yet I, I found it pretty moving. I think a lot of you did too. If you weren't here, um, take a look at the screens. Here's a glimpse. Sarah, here you are in front of all of these people, um, which takes some courage. We, we talked about this. Um, but but uh, not only being up here in front of people takes courage, but um, what is about to happen takes a lot of courage because uh, today is a day that you will commit yourself and uh, more importantly God will commit himself to you and you will become a baptized believer in Jesus Christ. So we, we've met and we've talked about this and you've been on a life journey with God for quite some time and yet um, I, I just want you to share a little bit about your story and what's brought you here to this moment. Um, you weren't raised in the church, right? You weren't raised in the church, um, but, but uh, just talk, talk a little bit about that. Well, I feel like my childhood wasn't the greatest. Um, divorce, addiction, um, you know, things that any child wouldn't like to see. But growing up, I feel like God always placed me around his people, um, made me feel loved even when I didn't feel it from my own family. Um, he always was placing people in my life, drawing me closer to him, and almost put this curiosity in me to search after him. And the more I searched, the more I loved him, and the more that he changed me. I feel like I used to be selfish and sassy and, you know, how people are naturally, but with him, he just changed my heart and made me care a lot about people and wanting to change the world for good for him. That's awesome. Um, you know, along the way, there have been a lot of people who have shown the love of God to you and have helped you just uh, see the love of God in your own life and uh, to, to come to take hold of it. Uh, today I ask you, why do you want to be baptized? Well, I love him. I know it says it in the Bible that I should be, so obviously for that, and because I think it's going to increase the intimacy in our relationship and... He created us with free will, and it's 
I want to do that for him and for our relationship to bring us uh, our relationship to be stronger and that he would use me um, for his greater glory and that he would spread blessings through me to others. Yeah, this is a very intimate thing where Jesus comes and, and he claims us and he gives us the benefits of everything that he did 2,000 years ago on the cross. I mean, in time he forgave us our sins, but in this act he, he makes it personal and his love becomes very personal and he makes everlasting promises and, and we, we talked about all of that. Uh, but I just lastly I ask you, uh, who is Jesus to you? What, is, what does he mean to you? His purity, relationship, love, everything. Um. Hey, I, I think that says it, right? <laughs> uh, so Kara, I make the sign of the cross over your forehead and over your heart as a sign that Jesus Christ died for you and that because of that, you now know intimacy and relationship and freedom with God. And now I'm going to invite you to uh, step over this bowl and just kind of lean over it. You don't have to use a lot of water. Uh, it's really about what God is doing through his name and through his promise. And uh, not only will God wash away your sins, but he will bring you new birth here today in this very moment. So Kara, Ruth, I baptize you in the name of God the Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, his son, and in the name of God the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Amen. Family of God, can you welcome your sister? Yeah. It's powerful, right? I mean, just someone sharing their story, sharing who Jesus is to them. You can do that. In fact, you, you, should, you should have a, a mechanism, a story that's already prepared to do that, a, a way so that when you are called to testify, to who Jesus is to you. I mean, you're not sitting there going, I, I don't know. I've never thought about it. Think about it. Because through that, through, through explaining objectively, through your story, you can help people begin to see a glimpse of who Jesus is and why he's worth getting to know. But, but here's what I'll say. Ultimately, neither one of those things are enough. Ultimately, we've got to help people encounter Jesus for themselves. We've got to do what Philip did. We've got to do what Andrew did. And for them, you know, it was pretty easy. They, they just grabbed their, their friends and they said, hey, come meet Jesus. And they took those people over to where Jesus was. For us, it's not so simple. How do we help people meet Jesus? Well, let me tell you. The scriptures make clear that here in this place, Jesus is present. Jesus is here. And I don't mean here like on the planet somewhere or Jesus is everywhere. No, I, I mean Jesus is here. He himself said that where two or more are gathered in his name, that he will be there in the midst of them. Somehow Jesus is present here. He's made a promise that that's true. Throughout the rest of the scripture, it says that we are his body. We are the physical manifestation of Jesus, albeit imperfect. And yet here we are. The scriptures say that Jesus is present in his word. When, when he is proclaimed clearly, he becomes present. Uh, he's, he's present in, in communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper or whatever you call it. We believe that's more than a representation. It's more than a symbol. It's more than a remembrance. It is an encounter with the living God. It's an encounter with Jesus. And here's the thing. If people are going to fall in love with Jesus, you've got to do what Philip and Andrew did. You've got to eventually say, you know what, I can explain 
to you what Jesus did in time. I can explain to you who Jesus is for me, but you've got to see it. Come and see. And here's why what we do as a church is so important. Back in week one of this series, I told you um, that, that you don't pay me to evangelize everyone, to share Jesus with everyone. It's not my job. It's your job. And then I said, you know, eventually you'll find out what my job is. And I said week four, and here we are at week four. So you finally get to figure out what I do all week. My wife's been wondering about this too. Um, you're like, what on earth do you do all week? Um, and, and, and I'll tell you what we do, but I'll tell you by way of this. We know as leaders of this church that there are two huge fears that you have when it comes to inviting someone to church. The first fear is that they'll say no. Right? You invite them and you say, come and see. And they go, no, <laughs> I don't want to go. And you feel shut down. You feel embarrassed. You feel rejected. You feel like maybe things will be awkward. That's fear number one. Fear number two is that they'll say yes. Right? Because you think, yeah, they're coming to church. Oh, no, they're coming to church. Like, what is this going to be like? And all of a sudden you start to imagine all the things that could go wrong. Maybe the, maybe the pastor will say something that... That, uh, that offends them. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, there'll, there'll be something that happens that doesn't connect with them. Ultimately, you start to worry, what if I get embarrassed? What if something happens that embarrasses me? You know, recently some of you have given us feedback and, and you've said, you know what, it feels like as a church, as leaders of this church, you don't really care about us. You don't consider us, those of us who are, who are regulars here, those of us who have been at this church for a long time. It feels like you, you aren't really considering us when you plan worship services or when you create programs or when you put on events. It feels like you don't consider us. And I just got to say, you know what, that is not true. That couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, we care about you so much, those of you who have been a part of this church for a long time. That we want to make sure that when you are doing what God has called you to do, when you are sharing Jesus with other people in your life, and it eventually comes to that point where you are out of words, and you have to say, you know what, just, just come and see. We want to make sure that we are doing everything possible to keep you from being embarrassed when you've got a guest sitting next to you. Except for the obvious, you know, fact that I'm one of your pastors, and there's just not much you can do about the embarrassment that comes with that. Sorry. Right? I mean, we, we, we want to make sure that you're not embarrassed. We want to make sure that when you bring someone to church, when you cross that sacred line and you actually invite someone to sit next to you, we want to make sure that we do everything possible to make sure that in that moment, because we think that moment is sacred, that we don't embarrass you. And that's why we create experiences, whether it's a worship service, whether it's, you know, a women's event, whether it's something else. We want to create experiences where unnecessary stumbling blocks are removed. See, that's what we do. That, that's part of my job here is to sift through and to say, what is absolute biblical necessity and what is, what is just a kind of a culture or a tradition or a preference that might get in the way of someone experiencing Jesus, of meeting Jesus here. And we've got to take those things out of the way. The Apostle Paul was, was big into this and he said, you know what, we remove every stumbling block, we take everything out of the way that might make it hard for someone to meet Christ. And that's what we do. And sometimes it's frustrating because we as Christians, we, we can make a mountain out of a molehill. Sometimes, we, uh, you know, sometimes we, we take these preferences or these traditions and we treat them as if they're sacred gospel truth and they're not. Those are things that can often trip someone up on the way to meeting Jesus. They'll never get to the place of meeting Jesus if we allow those things to stay there. The scriptures say that Jesus, for some, 
is a stumbling block. That he didn't come to be a stumbling block, but, but he is what some people will trip over. And you know what, if people trip over Jesus himself, that's okay. But if they trip over anything else, that's wrong. And as church leaders, as one of your pastors, this is what we're dedicated to, removing unnecessary, unnecessary stumbling blocks. Uh, we're dedicated to proclaiming Jesus clearly and truthfully. The first thing we call being culturally relevant, not being cool, but being culturally relevant so that cultural things don't get in the way. The second thing is what we call being biblically sound. See, we just believe that Jesus should be clear for anyone. You, you shouldn't have to be a Christian for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. You shouldn't require a master's in theology to understand what in the heck we're talking about here. Right? That anyone should be able to come in here and encounter Jesus, that he should be made clear for anyone to see, even if it's your first time ever hearing about him or the first time you've heard about him since you were a little kid, he should be clear to everyone, but he should also be proclaimed truthfully. Because if we give an encounter with anyone else other than the true Jesus, we're not helping. Because only the true Jesus has the power to take away our sin and our shame and to bring us into life today and forever. And then the last promise that we make in all of this is a promise that your guests will be honored and respected when they come here. Uh, we call this being outward focused. And sometimes this feels kind of bad, you know, it's like, well, you care more about guests than you do about us. And we think, yeah, but you know, this is exactly what you would do if you were inviting that person over to your house. Again, we're doing this in service to you, right? If you have someone over to your house, who's eating off the chipped plate? Better not be your guest, right? Husbands, if you give that chipped plate to one of your guests, your wife is going to backhand you in the kitchen. You know, like, honey, come here for a second. Well, you know, what'd you do, right? You don't do that, right? You eat off the chipped plate. If you've got one of those glasses that the dishwasher just kind of you know, puts that film on, you know, you're drinking out of that glass. You don't give that to your guest, right? This is what you do when you have a guest over to your house. You treat them as if they are honored and respected people because they are. And so this is what we do as a church. We spend a lot of time figuring out ways to make sure that any guest who comes into this place feels honored and respected for where they are. That they don't have to be someone else to be here. That they don't have to change themselves to meet Jesus. Jesus is the one who changes us after we meet him. Right? And see, this is what we work really hard on. In fact, this is what separates us from a lot of other churches. A lot of other churches, they're content just to talk to those of you who already know Jesus and help you know him more, to know more facts about him. And we say, no, 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 that's not what we're all about. We think we can do both. We think we can help make Jesus clear to people who have never heard about him, and we think we can help those of you who already know about Jesus, we think we can help you grow in your relationship with him, but it's not about facts. It's about having an encounter with the living God, with Jesus. And when we fall down on these things, we want to know about it, because this is sacred work to us. We work so hard at this. If you're a guest here today and this is your first time and we have violated any of these things, we want to know about it. Because the last thing on earth that we want to be is, is someone or, or a people or an organization that gets in the way of you encountering Jesus. That's why we're here because we just know that once you see Jesus clearly, when you meet him, you will fall in love with him. 
and it'll change your life. And the last thing on earth we ever want to do is to get in the way of that encounter. We want to know when we violate these things. Here's why. Because we just believe that uh, if people are going to fall in love with Jesus, they're probably going to have to date him for a while. Right? Love at first sight happens sometimes. But even with Jesus' disciples, it, it was something that unfolded over time. And, and so we want to be a place where people can come and encounter Jesus over and over again. Because we know that eventually, after encountering him, they'll get to know him. And when they really get to know him, they'll like him. And, and they'll begin to believe in him. They'll begin to trust in him. They'll fall in love with him. And then they'll go and share him with others. We know that to be true. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I heard a story. And I just love this story. It's one of my favorite stories that I've heard in a long time. Uh, someone was uh, in church, a friend of mine was in church, and he was eavesdropping on the people behind him. So those of you, you, sometimes, you guys sometimes act like you're in a limousine when you're in church with like the divider wall, but you realize when you're talking to your spouse or your neighbor, the people ahead of you can hear you. So be careful what you say. Um, so this guy was eavesdropping, I love it, and, uh, and he was actually listening to uh, two women talking, and one of them sounded to be a regular here, and the other person was a guest for the first time, and he could kind of hear the friend orienting her guest to St. John. And, uh, and he says after the service, he kind of waited and listened for another minute. And, uh, and, uh, and he listened until after the service was over, and, and he just kind of listened to their talk, and he could hear the regular saying to her friend, this is what she said, she said, See, I told you you wouldn't fall asleep. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> to me, I'm like, that is a win, right? Victory. Why? Because if that woman came to church and she didn't fall asleep, and if she happens to come back, which uh, maybe if she didn't fall asleep, that's a pretty good sign. If she happens to come back, it's only a matter of time after spending time with Jesus that she'll begin to get to know him and she'll like him and start believing in him and trust in him and eventually fall in love with him. And, and someday off in the future, she'll have someone sitting next to her saying, see, I told you, you wouldn't fall asleep. See, it doesn't all rest on you and your ability to explain to people who Jesus is. You need to learn how to do that. And it doesn't rest all on you and your ability to share your story so that people will be compelled. Eventually, you've got to do what Philip and Andrew did. And you've got to invite people to come and see and then let Jesus do what he does. Let Jesus make himself known. Let Jesus work on someone's heart. Let Jesus woo people into a life-saving relationship that will change their world forever. Your job is to say, come and see, and let Jesus show up and do the rest. Let me pray. Father, I pray you'd give us courage. Give us the courage of Philip and Andrew to put it all on the line, to not be afraid to extend invitations where people will have the chance to meet you. Father, I pray that here in us, that you would put in us a desire for people to know what we have in you, for people to know the joy and the life and the hope and the forgiveness and the healing and everything that we have in you, the meaning. Give us a desire to share that with people that is so strong that it's, it's bigger than our desire to protect our reputation. It, it overwhelms our fear of embarrassment. 
Jesus, um, help us love you so much that we, like Philip, like Andrew, just overflow and go and, and tell people, come and see and, and compel people to come to places where you are, places like this very place. God, I, I pray you'd keep working on the heart of this church. Heavenly Father, I ask that you'd give us your Holy Spirit and you, you just awaken us to the urgency of your gospel, to, to the need of people around us to know you and the life that you offer today that is real and life-changing now and for all of eternity. Shake us out of our slumber, snap us out of our stupor, and give us a, a zeal and a passion and a love that is deep and that is authentic and that is powerful and give us the courage to extend invitations for people to encounter you and when we invite them, show up and compel them with your goodness the same way you've compelled us. We love you. We appreciate you. We thank you for all that you've done, for all that you'll keep doing in our lives. Multiply it in the lives of others, we pray. Amen.